Good afternoon and welcome to the Netflix Q2 2018 earnings interview. I'm Spencer Wong, VP of IR and Corporate Development. Joining me today are CEO Reed Hastings, CFO David Wells, Chief Content Officer Ted Sarandos, and Chief Product Officer Greg Peters. Our interviewer this quarter is Todd Younger from Bernstein. As a reminder, we will be making forward-looking statements and actual results may vary. With that, over to you, Todd, for your first question. All right, thanks, Spencer. So let's start with the obvious. So for the first time in, I think, five quarters, uh, net additions came in below your own forecast, both in the U.S. and internationally. So uh, whoever wants to, maybe you could help us walk through where was the source of that shortfall and, and what do you attribute it to? David, you want to hit that? Yeah, sure, uh, Todd. So in general, I would say acquisition, which is up year on year, but wasn't up as much as we thought it was going to be. So, and it was pretty broad across um, multiple markets. It wasn't any one area of the world. And as you pointed out, after four consecutive quarters of under forecasting the business, we over forecasted the business. And, you know, we strive for accuracy. We, we clearly didn't pad the number, um, but we think based on the rolling 12 months of growth that we've had compared to the prior rolling 12 months of growth, the U.S. up slightly, internationally up significantly, that the background and underlying characteristics of the business haven't changed. Our total addressable market is, is intact and hasn't really changed based on those 90, 90 days of, of, of actuals. And in general, we think that the conversion and growth to internet-enabled entertainment is intact and people are loving it. People are adopting Netflix around the world increasingly more in our newer markets as well. Um, and so I think we're, we're still on track for a strong growth year this year. And uh, maybe it's going to come in a little bit differently than we expected and others expected. And Todd, right. uh, you notice probably that paid net ads are up uh, compared to a year ago and forecast to be up a year on a year over basis in Q3. And the fundamentals have never been stronger. Our viewing is uh, setting year over year records, uh, the shows that we have coming. So we're feeling uh, very strong about the business. Terrific. I, I'll stay on this for just a couple more follow-ups and then we'll we'll move on to, to broader things. Just wonder, uh, you know, over the course of the winter, there were some well-publicized, essentially global pricing increases. I, I wonder if you think that had any impact on either retention or gross ads relative to your forecast. We don't think so, Todd. I mean, if anything, you know, we all of 2017, we sort of had rolling increases in various different parts of the world. We were able to grow continually through that and we continue to. So I don't think that that uh, is contributing to this trend. And Todd, we've seen this movie of Q2 shortfall before about two years ago in 2016. Um, and we never did find the explanation of that other than there's some lumpiness in the business and continued to perform after that. Great. Uh, let me hit on Q3 really fast or else I wouldn't be doing my job. So uh, you, you are kind enough always to give us a forecast for that. And it just stood out to me that um, I think it's slightly below net ads from a year ago. Uh, I only had a quick chance. So I, I think that's, I don't know if that's unpaid or, or total or both. Um, it, it's, on it's on total, Todd. So as Reed pointed out, um, paid net ads are actually up year on year. But again, we, we we try not to focus too narrowly on like a couple hundred thousand, right? Or on any one particular quarter. If you kind of look at Q2 and Q3, it's essentially kind of flat um, with last year. And last year we had sort of 5 million, about 5 million global net ads in Q1, 5 million Q2, 5 million Q3, and then 8 million in Q4. 
years prior, we've always had very strong growth in sort of Q1 and Q4 relative to Q2, Q3. And we think that's that pattern is going to happen again this year. Um, and so, again, we, we tend to focus on 12-month rolling over 12-month rolling, not only in particular quarter, because as Reed points out, we've seen this movie before, we've been through these cycles of growth, and we think the sort of background um, fact of, of people adopting internet entertainment, including increasingly more international adoption, is going to drive really strong year-on-year -year growth in international, with U.S. hanging out in that four to five million, you know, net additions band that it has been for the last four or five years. All right, one final sort of segue on to bigger things. So, uh, has the results or any learnings from this quarter caused you guys to change at all your internal forecasts longer term for either sub growth or revenue growth or free cash flow? No, um, you know, as Reed indicated, uh, David, I'll take it again, and, and others can chime in, but. Um, you know, the business fundamentals, the, 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 the on track for 10% operating margin, we indicated we do have some foreign exchange headwinds to kind of push us towards the, the bottom end of that range. But everything else is sort of tracking according to our target and plan. Um, and so, again, we feel pretty, pretty good about it. I mean, obviously, when you have sort of a million net ads, we are going to manage within the band of marketing spend and other things to protect that operating margin growth long uh, in the short term, but long term, nothing's really changed. All right. Uh, don't worry, Greg and Ted, I've got plenty for you, but moving to the, uh, moving to the other elephant uh, that was already in the room, um, just check in a bit on, on the competitive landscape. Uh, obviously a lot going on uh, between Disney and Comcast and Fox and Sky. Uh, so need to check in and, and, and hear what you're thinking in terms of what impact on Netflix However, that result turns out, and uh, is any particular result better or worse uh, for your own competitive fortunes? You know, there's a lot of new and strengthening competition with Disney entering the market, HBO getting additional funding, um, the different French uh, broadcasters coming together. Uh, so that's all normal and expected. So it is what it is. We're not going to be able to change it. And then our focus is on doing the best content we've ever done, having the best user interface, the best recommendations, the best marketing, all the things that we've been doing for many years in the past and will keep doing for many years in the future. And the other thing I would add to that, Todd, is, you know, the market for entertainment is so big that there can be multiple uh, firms that are successful. So you've, you've heard us talk in the past about how we've been able to grow dramatically in the U.S. and HBO and other networks have also similarly been able to grow at the same time. So, you know, it's 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 a very large market. And in our, our programming, we've always been focused on keeping people entertained and satisfied on an absolute basis, not relative to any consumer. So we're just trying to, or any competitor. So really are by keeping an eye on our members and our consumers, uh, we're better served than, than hyper-focusing on competition. So one of the most frequent sort of investor questions related to this topic is access to content, licensed content, particularly from Disney and Fox. Uh, let me start with this very specific one. There is a wide, wide uh, variance in degree of opinion on how much content on Netflix comes from off-network licensing of Disney and Fox content. Um, care to narrow that down for investors any and give us some sense of just both from a availability perspective and from maybe from a viewership perspective, how much is there? Uh, no, I don't want to narrow it down any more than it is, but I would tell you that it's been a, a number that's been on the decline for several years. Um, 
you should think about it the way we've looked at this long term is that our competitors will want that content on their own services. That was a bet we made a long time ago when we got into original programming. And every year since that, we've been doing uh, less and less off-net business with Disney and Fox. And our bet is that long term, they'll want all their content on their service. In the short to medium term, uh, we're still licensing content off, off, off net from them. And they're also producing original content for us, like Nurse Ratchet from Fox or the Marvel series from Disney. Right. I know you've answered this quarter, this question, Ted, I think the last two or three quarters consecutively, but I got to ask it again, you know, any reason to expect those types of uh, sort of original uh, shows that you get from Disney and Fox to, to change given the new information that from what they're doing? No, those shows are for us to cancel. So, but we're and we're super happy with the performance of them so far. So, uh, and the Nurse Ratchet and Fo some other Fox original titles are still upcoming. So, speaking of uh, your own originals, uh, yeah, I want to touch on a couple of uh, sort of relatively newer areas of focus for you, and just check in and see how it's going. So, uh, so one is unscripted, right? It seems, uh, and you talked about this last quarter. It's been a a, a sort of recent uh, elevated higher. Uh, priority for you guys? How's it, how's that going? What's your experience been? Is it uh, being enjoyed by your members as much as you thought? Yeah, and we're super excited about the variety of the shows and how they're landing with consumers. Uh, similarly, like we, we thought a long time ago that the unscripted networks are also going to want to keep their own content for their own services. And we started investing in our own unscripted programming. And I've had some really great out-of-the-box hits with Nailed It and Fastest Cars and Queer Eye uh, that are doing great with uh, with our watchers relative to building an audience. Uh, and also, you saw Queer Eye did quite well at the Emmys and the nominations uh, announced last week. So we're really excited with the progress and the speed to market. Uh, we've been able to do uh, our unscripted shows at really high quality. On the uh, original movie side, another uh, not quite so new area of focus, but still uh, more recent. Um, what's your assessment of your progress versus where you'd hope to be on, on that front? Uh, we're moving as quick as we can uh, and still delivering what, you know, movies that people want to watch. So you, we saw in the letter, we talked a little bit about the results of our, our romantic comedy, Kissing Booth. Uh, there was much made in the press this summer about our romantic comedies have all been pretty successful, set it up uh, just prior, just after Kissing Booth. And, um, and so these are movies that are, not really uh, being made in the market much and we're doing in moving into those uh, but we're also doing a lot of the big event films with eight list directors and these are uh, long lead production times and uh, we're really excited with the way they've been delivering in terms of viewership and we think that we'll see similar trends that we saw in television but it'll take another year or so as we get into it and one final one I wanted to check in on, which will allow us to move uh, forward here was uh, what I'll call non-English language for better for lack of a better word, um, it seems like you're uh, making more stuff in other places of the world. It seems like that's having success all around the globe. Uh, I just wonder if you could confirm that and uh, you know, talk about your own assessment of the returns you're getting on those sorts of program investments. Yes, yeah, yeah, similarly, fast ramp up and early success. So we've been uh, get do, producing shows that are incredibly relevant in their home territories. And the nice windfall is, is they get viewed all over the world. So we saw that recently with Rain and Dark. Uh, we certainly, in India, we saw great success recently with Sacred Games uh, that really people like, really excite the market. Um, and these are places where our global originals play well too. So it's really, I think, accelerating the brand perception of Netflix as not just an out-of-towner, but someone who's producing content that you care about in every part of the world. Um, uh, upcoming this year, we have new seasons of uh, Chicas de Cable from Spain, Ingobernable from Mexico, 
Uh, we have a new show from Spain called Elite coming out next uh, in Q3. Uh, Ghoul in India coming out in August. Uh, and these are shows that are produced at a level that are really high that consumers get really excited about. And it helps them get really excited about Netflix if they're not quite sure who we are yet. So now that we've moved on outside of uh, uh, US or the English uh, Western world, uh, can I check in just a little bit, uh, just specifically on Asia and carve out India for a second, because I'm going to come to India specifically later, but just uh, to Asia as a huge reason generally. Um, I think we've talked in the past how the content uh, tastes are a little different. The, the business model, you were uh, uh, hoping to find the exact right formula. How's your growth going in Asia generally? Uh, what is driving it? Is it at a similar pace at the same stage, other markets in the world? Any, any, any deeper info you can give us on that part of the world? Anybody? Reed, what do you think? Sure. Um, you know, I'd say, Todd, we're starting to turn the corner in uh, many of the nations where our viewing is climbing up as we're continuing to improve the programming. And when we get high viewing uh, in every other market, uh, that has brought in an era of fast growth. And so we've seen that it's very country by country. I'll include India in the description and say, you know, we were really pleased with the progress and tracking we're making since we launched two and a half years ago. And we just have a lot of work and a lot of opportunity ahead. And, and Todd, the only annotation I would say is, look, it's still early. Um, we launched with a very sort of a skim model approach and we've We've augmented that, right? We're adding payment methods. We're adding more content. We are working on all the playbook that has been successful for us in other markets of the world. And you see that through increased investment. Um, and so that that sort of last wave of expansion for Netflix is still relatively early. And that's affecting our growth numbers. It, it's affecting our, you know, our levels of investment as well, where other markets are sort of growing in profit. That, that actually those markets collectively are growing in loss. Um, and, and we have more growth in the profitable markets than we do in the loss markets. Um, and that's what's growing the overall margin. Yeah. And we've been really thrilled with our uh, original production of anime that's being viewed quite pan-regionally throughout Asia. And of course, in Japan, uh, our scripted series uh, and our unscripted series like Busted from Korea or um, uh, Terrace House from Japan are you know, viewed throughout the region which are, and are building brands bigger and bigger. And so thank you for sort of carving out India separately, only because uh, for a number of reasons, right? It's such a place with huge potential. I think numerous executives have been quoted in various places recently talking about the potential there. You've got some new original shows there. So uh, specifically in India, uh, if you could dive a little deeper into uh, where you are on the growth curve there, uh, how you uh, see the path to success and how big that could be for you in the next many years. Well, Todd, we're way behind YouTube, uh, Hotstar. Those are really uh, the leaders on the internet. Um, and there's uh, so much TV viewing, that linear TV, that could be internet viewing. And the advantages are tremendous in India for internet viewing because you don't get the ad load that you see that's so high in all of the other platforms. So Netflix is having uh, great success getting established, getting a reputation going. Uh, and with this uh, triplet of uh, Lust Stories, Sacred Games, and Ghoul, um, you know, we're really getting some nice momentum in our India growth. Now, it's still, we're still, as David said, a niche product. We've got a long way to go uh, to expand languages and uh, many other aspects. 
to be able to cover, you know, be a broad Indian product. But in terms of our beachhead, uh, I'm very pleased with what we've what we've been doing. Greg, there seems like there's some maybe seemingly obvious particulars about the Indian market from a product perspective that uh, might be peculiar. Uh, uh, how much of that is just from the uh, the infrastructure that exists and uh, the the uh, affordability in the marketplace? Um, is that true? And if so, you know, what what have you got up your sleeve to try and make Netflix uh, easy for everybody in India to enjoy? There are definitely a few specific things that we're doing there that get to payments and how sign up has to happen. We just rolled out some improvements on the sign up uh, flow on TVs. So you know, make that easier for, for non-members to become members in that dimension. But actually a lot of the work that we do uh, that, that helps our you know, members in India is actually applicable in some sense globally as well, whether that's you know, uh, more efficient encodes to make the viewing process you know, higher quality, you know, start faster. You know, that obviously is great for our members in India, but it's it's great for members around the world. Downloads is another great example where you know we rolled out downloads for when you don't have you know great connectivity or you don't want to use the data in your data cap. Now we've just actually rolled out the next iteration of that smart downloads, so we can make that process even you know more fun and and easy by having the episodes that you watched automatically delete and get replaced by new episodes whenever you come back on a Wi-Fi network. So, you know, it's a mix of both India specific and just global, globally relevant. Yeah. Uh, in there, you talked about payments and, uh, and just uh, that whole stream. Um, it's a question that comes up a lot with me with investors is just the thought about uh, the affordability of the product relative to relative incomes that comes up a lot in India. I'm going to broaden the question to just uh, various places in the emerging world. Uh, how much room do you guys feel you have there you know, in India and other places? Are, are, are you, do you sense you're reaching a, a, a limit in any sense in terms of the utility of the product compared to alternatives and customers' ability to pay that's gonna, that's, that would affect retail ARPUs anytime over the near horizon? I would say we're far from reaching a limit in terms of the addressable market, given the pricing structures we have right now. We got a lot of room to grow in a you know reasonably affluent part of the society in India and other you know markets around the world. So much more runway. But having said that, you know we're constantly testing you know our pricing models, what pricing strategies work best for our members around the world, and trying to find um, you know what features, what tiers we can add to make that you know, a, a both a revenue positive, but also a, you know, a consumer friendly and consumer fair kind of approach. And Todd, just to build off that a little bit, I and mean, we were talking about India a little bit as homogenous, but, you know, breaking this apart, um, Reed has mentioned it, Greg's mentioned it, you, you know, we may have an issue where there's three or four different sort of growth patterns within India in terms of different demographics, different segmented groups, you know, as we address one segment and then we start addressing another and so forth and so forth. And each one has a specific set of challenges with it. And we're in the early days of that sort of that first segment. So, you know, expect more more from us in terms of getting into segments two, three and four. And, and I do think that the, the price point is mostly relevant to uh, the value proposition or Indian consumers finding a lot to watch on Netflix and having a great time doing it. And if they are, that price point becomes more, uh, more, more of a value proposition than a premium proposition. Yeah. Just picking up on that. Uh, one statistic that you guys sometimes mention and sometimes don't, I don't think I saw it in the press release was the notion of engagement and as, as, as one good perhaps indicator of 
valued, received by your your members. Uh, any comments on where engagement, I guess, defined as hours streamed, hours streams per member, um, sort of stood this quarter? Is it still growing in, in line with uh, content growth? Any any? It is indeed uh -huh. still uh, growing, Todd, uh, on a year-over-year -year basis. Uh, our viewing hours, we mostly measure by median view hours, uh, is growing. Um, so we're we're super excited about that. And, you know, we're still a small fraction of as a, every society's overall viewing. So I think there's a, still room to go there. Got it. Uh, one more in pricing, just because uh, you're, I know you're always testing. We, we all know that. But one of your tests got picked up in the press. We actually stumbled across it. This idea of an ultra plan seems to be a test for uh, HDR viewing that, um, that you're experimenting with. Um, just any thoughts you want to share on the theory behind that and 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 uh, the marketplace acceptance you think might exist for that type of a plan well i'd say more generally rather than speaking specifically to any results because that's still very much in progress you know we are you know we want to test at both uh ends of the spectrum here and try and figure out ways to add more value for those members who might see that being good value while we're testing you know and some more accessibility you know how we create uh, a way to access netflix for a broader group of people but um you know a test that's still in progress and um, no results to uh, to discuss at this point. Fair enough. So uh, another another uh, uh, way that you've been going to market increasingly, it seems, is um, is with these partner deals. I, maybe there's a better uh, internal word for them. Um, and they were mentioned again in the press and in the, the shareholder letter. Um, We'd we'll love to check in on a couple of things on that. So, uh, first of all, is anybody willing to tell us roughly uh, how important these are to your net ad growth, to your overall subscriber base? Any sense of proportionality there, uh, other than what you said in the letter, which is um, basically a supplemental channel, but uh, the majority are still direct. And I just, I think I'd reiterate that that the vast majority of our acquisition still comes, you know, by a consumer signing up directly with us. You were fairly new when it comes to these, you know, partner bundles. We're excited and optimistic about it, so I think that that uh, will grow as a percentage of our, you know, our acquisition. Um, and what we're really excited about is it actually allows us to sort of more efficiently address different uh, consumer segments. So let's take the U.S. for example, a market we've been, you know, re relatively well penetrated in, but doing a deal like with Comcast, it allows us to put the application on the set-top box where. You know, consumers that might be less early adopters, sort of more late adopters, are already watching traditional television. By being included in a bundle, we get to remove a separate purchase decision. We get to eliminate the sign-up flow. It just makes it super simple and easy for consumers to sign up uh, via that mechanism. And Todd, just to be consistent with what we've said in prior quarters, it is a growing element of our acquisition, right? As we, as Greg said, as we penetrate into uh, demographics and established markets that uh, may not be on the early part of that S-curve of adoption, and also our newer emerging markets where partnerships may allow us to do things like partner billing and tap into consumer trust that's a little bit earlier in the cycle than if we establish that ourselves. Is there any feedback you're in a position to share from the partners themselves uh, in terms of how these part these programs are working for them? Not to single out, T-Mobile comes to mind just because they've been added in the states the longest. Uh, but you know, any place in the world, uh, can you characterize their their feedback to you? Yeah, I think you know it's it's something that's very important to us because obviously we want a sustainable model around this where it's adding you know it's it's valuable to the partners perceived as valuable by them and supporting their business so that they want to continue to invest in it and expand it. And you know, again, market by market, it's different, but you know, it's either. 
a differentiation strategy where you know uh, the the our partner is um, seeking to position themselves slightly differently. But oftentimes, it's just actually a way of them communicating to the consumer, you know, the value that they're investing in their network or the quality of service and like that. And having you know Netflix when the an amazing content that we have and having a really high quality experience with that is a great way of just telling that story. Um, to their to their their customers and their customers to be it creates a, a great narrative that it's that they're a, a good video source because when you when you're talking about Netflix it it becomes the symbol of great uh, of a great data data system right especially when you think about the you know we try and be super innovative on the video quality and audio quality all those things that you you unlock by having a great you know network and a great service and just to add on Todd you know we've been doing partnerships with um, um, part, uh, other partners for many many years um, and we've had many uh, multi-year relationships with many of our different partners so as Greg said we want these to be sustainable and because you know we've had these for many years I think you can extrapolate from that that they're successful for both parties and Todd it's not a radical thing um, MVPDs bundling another network you know that's pretty well-trod territory on their side you know, one of the things that these partnerships uh, give to you is also some more sort of marketing investment, uh, which is done on your behalf by them. Um, coming into the year, one of the themes that seemed to um, that I interpreted from you guys was was a little bit relative increase in the emphasis of your own marketing investment behind your your content and your service. Um, just checking in, half so, oh, and I guess we've seen that in the financials too. So just. How's that going? Uh, are you seeing the returns that you hoped for? And you know, any specifics that can you can you maybe help give us some examples of of specific types of marketing programs and how you measure the investment of that? Where are you spending these incremental dollars? Sure, A couple. Of, we're we're very pleased with the growth and the, our ability to invest. Uh, A lot of it is behind title brands and seeing how do we help title brands uh, really maximize their potential. Uh, within uh, the overall system. And we're doing lots of tests, trying different methods in different countries, uh, learning what's the most efficient ways to build demand for a title. Um, so there's tremendous amounts of learning going on there. And then we're also doing acquisition marketing and learning on that side. Uh, David, did you want to add to that? No, I think that's great. Just to remind Todd that it's been a while. We, we've been out of the sort of, we spend this much on marketing, we grow this much directly in a quarter. We only a fraction of our spend is oriented around direct acquisition. You know, what Reed was is saying is like the, the majority of the marketing spend, call it 80, 85% is orient, uh, oriented around building title brands. Um, and we've got good evidence that we can do that. We're just parsing through what the most efficient mechanism is to market those titles. And also, you know, where the where the right amount of spend is as well as we grow our content library. And, and what we see a lot is that the channels themselves uh, vary by the top around the content itself, too. So so learning more about how to get more and more refined about which channels for which content uh, get the best results are the things that we're learning right now. And Ted, were you pleased with the Emmy nomination campaigns? I was thrilled. I was thrilled. We had uh, f- uh, I, we took the record. Obviously, we were the most. But the thing I was most proud of is we had forty different shows nominated. Uh, kind of give you an idea of the kind of different variety of things that we're doing: scripted, unscripted, uh, comedy, drama, talk shows, everything across the board. Uh, everyone was represented. It was forty shows where the very happy people last week, and millions of fans around the world too. So. Uh, 
Well, here comes the world's most inelegant segue, but uh, <laughs> uh, being respectful to your shareholders, uh, the single most popular question I got in prep for this, so I'm going to share it with you out of duty to that. Uh, I'm sorry it was revolving net neutrality. And so uh, I've got, I, guess, I guess we have a new administration, uh, relatively, or not that new, but um, between that and some uh, of the, the around record, the world, where do we stand on that? Net neutrality has won uh, as a consumer expectation, and um, some countries have net neutrality laws, other countries don't, uh, but broadly around the world, consumers have the expectation and ISPs are delivering it. So I would say the net neutrality advocates have won the day in terms of those expectations, so we don't see any changes of that in the US or other countries. So it's it's quite a positive outcome for changing cultural expectations in a, in a positive way. Okay, flipping back inelegantly to my more core line of questioning. Um, uh, and, and speaking of big investments, uh, Ted, I didn't give you a chance yet to tell you, you've got some big new uh, partners in terms of uh, producers on overall deals. It caught the attention of investors, uh, obviously. Um, you know, your Ryan Murphy's and your Shonda Rhimes and your Genji Cohen's not to leave out anybody. Can you help us think through, um, are there more of those to come? A, that's one question, and um, more deals like that, uh, more people like that. And uh, sort of secondly and related, uh, what's the timeline? When, when has development started from uh, you know, any of these uh, resources and how long before we see the output of their work on show up, starts to show up on Netflix? Um, well, it's a great question, and they are. Um, you should think about the. It's a pretty rare um, creator who has a, a, a an ownable sensibility, who produces a lot of content, prolific and successful. Uh, people like Shonda and Ryan and Gingy uh, and and uh, Jason, they have a brand and they care about the brand and they want to create in that brand and they want to be and they want to create a lot. So we could give them an infrastructure to do that at Netflix because we have a great history of finding connecting an audience for all those different shows. Um, so there's, that's not true of all creators, uh, but it has been with the shows that we're doing so far and we're looking and we will probably do more, but it is a pretty rare breed of creator. Um, and then we just physically moved Shonda into her new home here at, uh, at Netflix and we're thrilled. She has a couple of shows percolating now that we can't announce yet, uh, but we're really thrilled with the direction she's going. Uh, Ryan's finishing up his work at, at at Fox, and then he'll be full steam ahead. Remember, his last two shows at Fox are going to be our first two shows, actually, um, with uh, the politician and uh, Nurse Ratchet. So we're we've been we're in the Ryan Murphy business in a big way, and then Gingy um, going from Weeds to Orange Is the New Black to Glow was uh, exactly what I'm talking about about being uh, prolific and successful. So we're really thrilled. All right. Uh, moving, uh, David, to your uh, uh, very specific world um, in a popular question I received. So, uh, and you answer this every quarter, just uh, regarding uh, your continued use of debt to finance uh, your current free cash flow deficits, especially in an era of rising rate or current environment of rising rates. Uh, just need to check in and make sure we understand your logic and, and your continued ability or uh, plan to uh, to finance the company and the future deficits for the next few days? Yeah, I mean, we, we continue to see debt as the most optimal choice, the most cost-effective use of capital, or, or uh, sorry, source of capital for the company. Obviously, we'd love to get to that point where we're, we're organically and self-funding content. And we, we do see a, a point where we can get there. 
But until we do, we see debt as the as the right choice in terms of cost of capital. Uh, and another popular question, I'm, uh, I'm getting through as many as I can before Spencer tells me time is up. So here is another one, uh, and, and probably for either Ted or Reed, you guys get this a lot. Uh, investors still want to know uh, your desire or, or appetite for sports type of uh, content rights, for news oriented type of content rights, uh, or for other expansions of uh, your platform to either get into audio or gaming or selling other people's products, any of those sorts of new genres or, or potential expansion theories, um, where, are your, where are you on those? No, no change in our long-term views that have been, as you've referred to, expressed over and over. We have such an opportunity uh, in movies and TV shows of, of many types around the world. Uh, that it's consuming every bit of energy and excitement that we have. Got it. Um, let me, if I can, move to um, what I think might be sort of the seminal question, two questions for long-term Netflix shareholders, uh, which is really, okay, you got about 130 million global members now. Um, how long is it going to take you to get the next 130 million? And if you double your members, are you going to need to double your spend in content and marketing to attract and retain them? Well, it's kind of hypothetical to think about the P&L structure. We'll learn as we go. Um, we've been very attentive to all the key factors, which is we want to invest uh, enough on content to make our subscribers incredibly happy because that's how we grow. So, you know, it's a really smart investment for us on the content side. We want to invest in product and marketing to make the whole service better, to make the shows uh, be more aware. We also want to steadily increase operating margin over the next several years. And so as an example, we've got some adjustments to make because of foreign exchange rates. And, you know, we'll make those adjustments and we'll grow into that. So think of us as, you know, continuing every year to figure out um, how we make certain adjustments to keep the operating margins growing, the subscriber base and revenue growing. And that's been the basic way we've been operating over the last several years. Um, so it's more of the same. And in terms of the dartboard, uh, you know, several years out on when we double, the answer is not soon enough. Um, we're always pushing hard uh, to figure out how can we get even more growth, um, but we're awfully pleased with what we've got to. Todd, I think we have time for one, uh, one more question. All right. Um, uh, so uh, I guess I'll use that to, to sort of just expound on the, the, the big dartboard I just asked and, and maybe start with Greg and then uh, anyone else who wants to comment. When you think about the product itself, which is the underpinning of these, uh, the belief you have in the growth, um, you know, what, what, what's on your short-term and long-term list of things that you think your members most desire would move the needle most from a product perspective, from a content perspective, from a overall pricing and value perspective, uh, and therefore drives your agenda, I guess each of you, over the, um, the rest of this year and, and into the coming decade? It's a, a long, long list. <laughs> we want to make really almost everything better about the product, but I'll just sort of highlight one uh, that's that's fun and happening right now. We talked about sort of the improvements in the mobile UI and smart downloads, but I don't want to leave out TV. And with all of this amazing uh, content that we have bringing out, we've been working really hard over the last several months and quarters even, um, testing and researching how do we make that TV experience you know, faster, more fun, easier to find um, the stories that our members will love. And we're actually going to roll uh, some improvements out uh, to that experience and make that better 
starting tomorrow. So starting this week, uh, you'll see those. And that's what we expect to be a long line of, you know, incremental improvements that make that experience even greater for finding the stories that you love. And I'd say in the short term, and um, we've got, um, we've, I've got the, the the great pleasure of trying to make people very happy. And in the short term, you know, we've got new seasons coming up uh, the second half of this year of Orange is the New Black, Ozark, Iron Fist, Daredevil, Narcos, uh, the finale of House of Cards, uh, the follow-up series for uh, Making a Murder, um, and with some brand new IP coming up with new shows like Insatiable, uh, Maniac with Emma Stone and Jonah Hill, uh, Disenchantment from Matt Groening, the creator of The Simpsons, doing an animated comedy for us. Um, a new show from Greg Berlanti's company, uh, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, a spinoff of Riverdale that's been hugely popular for us. And that all ramps up to bigger and better feature films, too, for our fans around the world, uh, starting with The Christmas Chronicles from Chris Columbus later this year and Bird Box from Sandra Bullock uh, um, with Su the great Susan Beer directing. Uh, that will lead us into next year where you'll have movies from Martin Scorsese and Alfonso Cuaron and all these fantastic directors. And the opportunities there are just limitless. And then for me, and I'll let Reed uh, have the honor of going uh, wrapping us up, but I would say we've got 130 million members and the prospect of adding, you know, whatever that is, 100 more million, 130, the next 130 million, you know, all of those, those folks enjoy connectedness. And as we grow to enjoy more, more, more stories that are sourced from, from wherever in the world, I think the ability for all those folks are a great portion of those folks to enjoy and see a story and discuss that story, you know, in the same moment is great. And Netflix being an enabler that will continue to do that. And uh, I look forward to the 8 billion of content growing from here. We think we can grow operating margin, but we're also going to grow content spend, uh, which will enable more of that content. And Todd, uh, for me, it's about connecting the world and sharing the stories all around the world. I think we've got so much more we can do with that as we learn the various arts of dubbing and style. And I think that will make a really profound contribution to the world, in addition to just entertaining everyone, which is uh, very joyful to work on. With that, let me thank everyone for participating in the call uh, and look forward to spending time with you guys, investors, uh, over the quarter. Thank you very much.